So I don't know if, you've, uh, if, you're, if you're fond of these things, but on the, on the screen is a puzzle. These are not my favorite puzzles to do. Uh, at the top from where you are, the top left up here, um, is where you enter the puzzle, and you have to find the right pathway that will lead you without obstruction to where the arrow goes out on the right. And this one's a really pretty complicated one. There's some easier ones. But the idea is that in between entering this box and getting to the finish line, there's a lot of dead ends that you could find yourself meeting. And there's a lot of long uh, pathways that lead somewhere else that are contained in here. And you've got to figure out how to get from one side to the finish line in a, a, a quick amount of time. And I've learned how to cheat just a little bit. The best way to do this is start at the finish line. If you break the rules and start at the finish line, it's a whole lot easier to find your way out the other way than, than to go the other way. Uh, because, I mean, because obviously these dead ends and these long distracting leading to nowhere paths are everywhere. For our lives, we have to ask this. What is the finish line you're running for? What is it that is the end game for your life? Where do you want to end up? And Paul, as he ends up this letter, he tells the Thessalonians, guys, we've talked about some things and I've pointed out some misdirections that I see that pertain to you in Thessalonica, but keep in mind what the finish line is. Where do you want to end up? Because it, it determines a whole lot of things. Go ahead and hit the next line if you would. It impacts all the decisions that you make along the way. And you'll see two or three things that we can put up there. What path are you going to take? And, and if you get stuck, how do you realize you got stuck? And if you get stuck, what do you do then? And how do you turn around? All these things are helped if you keep the finish line in mind. Even college students over here, living the most independent, carefree time of their entire lives, and they think, I've got plenty of time to solve all that stuff. Can I tell you something? You can get so distracted by detours right now, you never find your way back. This early in life, that's true. You know that's true. You can get so sidetracked early, you never get back there. Not necessarily true, but I've known a lot of people that got lost in the maze of life then and never got back out. So even right now, college, junior high, and high school, You've got you've to look at where is the finish line? Where is all this leading to? And the advantage you have as Christians is this. God determines the, the finish line. God sets it for us. This is called predestination. Pre means at the very beginning. As soon as you start your walk with God, God tells you where the end is going to be. And the destination, the destination, that's the end spot. God tells you where it's going to be. And that's what he says in our passage. And here's what it says. You've got the screen, if you've got the passage in front of you, and it's also at least partly on the screen right now. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's the first description of the end of the end of the finish line. And then he explains in other words, the red's just in other words for the black underlined words. 
Here's what that looks like. Your whole spirit and your whole body and your whole uh, uh, soul is kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end game. When the checkered flag comes out, that's where you want to be. When the time runs out, that's where you want to be. When the buzzer sounds, that's where you want to be. This is the finish line God has established for you. When you decide, I'm going to put Christ on in baptism, I'm going to bow my knee to King Jesus, he says, okay, here's where I want you to end up blameless when Jesus comes back. That solves a lot of problems for us. If he really is Lord of our lives, if he is our king, and that's where he says we're supposed to end up, that's our orders for our lives. This is where we want to be. And you wonder how in the world is that description even possible? Sanctify you completely. I want you to be so totally holy, and I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make the whole thing. I'm not just getting you started. I'm going to be here for the whole journey. I'm going to fund the entire thing. I'm going to support and sustain the entire journey. I'm going to see you completely sanctified through and through, he says. You know how Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000, how many basketfuls are left? Seven? He doesn't just feed them enough to give them a little. No, no, he feeds them stuff and he's stuff left over. And then when Jesus says, I came to bring you life and life more what? Abundantly. I want to give you more than you even imagine. He says, when I, when I, when I address your prayers, when you pray to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address them. But I'm going to address them in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I'm a generous God, and I want to complete the whole process. God says, I want to do this. Sanctify them completely. And you look at our lives, do you, do you all feel, y'all feel blameless? You see that whole spirit? soul and body blameless that's where I want you to be that's where the end game is y'all feel blameless here's what blamelessness is it's spiritually free from accusation and the guilt of sin there's no sin held against you you are absolutely free of any guilt or accusation that could be made from the sin of the world that's what blamelessness is and that's where God wants to lead you how in the world when we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God when no one is righteous, no, not one. How in the world can we look at our lives, look at, each, look at your own self, and you go, how am I ever going to get to that point? Remember, this is spiritually free from accusation of guilt of sin. It doesn't mean that you never have some, some scars. The only way you can do that, well, for one thing, is God. Now look back at the passage again. Next screen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Can you do this yourself? No way. You can't do this yourself. You can't live good enough to sanctify yourself. And so he says, may the God of peace himself, may God himself sanctify you completely. If you want to be a person not only who's made holy by God in the waters of baptism, but kept holy by God until the Lord returns, the only way you're going to do that is with God's help through Christ. Only God can sustain that kind of life. And we've, we've got the luxury of this. We have a God who wants to and is signed on for he didn't just start you on this and then kind of leave you on your own he's a God who himself going to do this completely notice the next line may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless this is passive 
It doesn't say you are blameless by yourself. It says you are being kept blameless by a powerful, holy God who's following along with you the entire way. This is passive. He's doing it, not you. And this is continuous. It's ongoing all the time. And he ends this particular part with verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. If you are going to be sanctified at the end by Jesus, it's only by God through Christ. Your only chance. Here's how he says it in Philippians. I love this line. It's a little more simple. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you when you responded to him in the gospel, began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to do this sanctifying work in your life all the way to the end. That's the God we serve. But there's other people helping. It's by God and Christ and he's got to be there the whole time. And if you ever, if you ever decide you don't want to be sanctified anymore you can come out from under that if you want to but one of the ways that we keep ourselves from coming out from under that is we help each other notice notice verse number 25 brothers pray for us we pray for each other to keep us in this process we pray for each other to help us sustain this pursuit of blamelessness you are being thought of all week long i want you to know i've got this I've got this uh, picture directory of everybody. It's not the same one as on our uh, online. It's my own. That's why I take pictures of you every once in a while, some of you that if I don't have any. And I go through those pictures every week, and I, I say basically the same prayer every week as I look at those people and name those names. This includes your kids too, by the way. And every week I'm praying, God, help them to stay faithful to you, give them your spirit, and lead them to you forever. You get prayed for every single week that way, and I'm not the only one. There are other people using that picture director or, or elders who are using, they know who you are, and they've got lists of your names, and we are praying for you. I want you to know this isn't a, a venture you're doing on your own. There are other people, and I'm going to tell you this. If we are going to be blameless at the end, it's going to be because we prayed each other through it. And so I need you to pray for me, and you need me to pray for you, and we need to pray for each other. Other people striving for the same thing, trying to make every effort to keep that going. We are praying for each other, but that's not the only thing. There's another thing we're doing for each other in the very next verse. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I say a hearty amen to what Mitchell said. I'm going to give him the holy kiss, and this kiss thing is not of interest to me. The Bible says it five times, though, when it's a really big issue, y'all. I don't, I don't think that thing was like just mere formality. You go over that part of the world right now, they'll, still kiss, they'll kiss you on both cheeks when they greet you. And you know what that means to greet each other, holy kiss? We have to assemble to do this. I can't kiss you online, right? I can't do the kiss on each cheek online. I can't even go up to the camera and do this, you know, and, and, and you see it on screen, like, like streaming. I can't stream that. No one can stream this kind of thing. It has to be something where I come to where you are, and I see you with my eyes, I recognize you, and I come up to you and kiss you on each cheek. That's what they do. In the, I don't want to do that here. I'm not into the whole kiss thing, okay? So here's the thing. 
We replace it with something, but the idea is we have to come together and actually touch each other's lives in some way to affirm our lives with each other. It could be a handshake, it could be a hug, whatever you choose to use, but we've got to greet each other. We've got to encourage each other because, y'all, we cannot do this from a distance. We cannot do this in isolation. We cannot do this. We need each other to encourage one another toward staying in this process of sanctification. It's not that God needs us to help him sanctify us. It's that God needs us to stay in that process with him and we encourage each other, hang in there. I know it gets discouraging and there are some frustrating things and there's the world beating us down and there's sins that are enticing us to come out from under this process and the way we encourage each other is we meet each other on the first day of the week at least and we come up this hill and we see each other with our own eyes and we touch each other with our own hands and we remind each other why we're in this. That brings up a couple of questions I really want to answer. I really want to address myself. First of all is this. If God's doing the job for us from beginning to end, why do we need to help each other? God's doing it. Just sit there and just say, I'm going to do my own thing and let God do this whole process. Well, here's the thing. It takes your cooperation to hang in there. This is what I like, Hebrews 10, 14. If you haven't memorized this verse, you need to because it's the most confirming and affirming and encouraging verse. For by a single offering, Jesus, he has perfected for all time, fully sanctified from beginning to end, those who are being sanctified. Now, this is a weird verse, isn't it? It's God is... God is fully sanctified already. It's a past tense. He's sanctified already. These people who are being sanctified sanctified now what this is we're not done yet we're in the process but he says we're already done i know it's a weird thing isn't it so here's what it is god looks at us when we come into christ we're baptized into christ our sins are washed away he makes us fully perfect totally sanctified he looks at us as if it's done it's not done because you and i can pick each other to pieces We can pick each other to pieces and see our flaws and think, man, he's not holy yet. He's got a lot of ways to go. But when God looks at him, he sees Jesus and he's done. He's fully done. He's fully sanctified. Now, here's the other thing. I can look in the mirror and pick myself to pieces. I know my flaws. I'm not where I want to be yet. But the moment I walked into the process and trusted God with my sin, he made it a done deal. I'm perfect. I'm perfectly sanctified. As long as I'm in this process, I'm perfectly sanctified. And here's the thing. For years, I've talked to to Christians a lot. They blame their churches, and I'm not going to blame the churches, but I'm going to talk about these Christians who think they're constantly, precariously dangling over the fires of hell. If I make one little mistake, then all of a sudden, the four falls out, and I'm back in hell. Every little mistake jeopardizes my eternal salvation. Every flaw. And I'm like, why would anybody want to go into a system like that? God says if you are between baptism 
and the end of your life fully sanctified, anywhere in this process you're fully sanctified. When you sin, he's taken care of it. The blood of Jesus is flowing toward you. You are forgiven in real time. You are not jeopardizing your salvation. You're still in this process. If, however, you decide you don't want it anymore, that the lure of sin is so strong that you decide, I don't want this life anymore, I want to choose serving sin again. You can go back. You can choose to forsake God again. You can. You can undo all that. No one falls out of salvation. It can't happen to you from a power outside of you, but it can happen to you if you choose to no longer participate. Here is what we're saying in this screen right here. God is fully taking care of us. If we're in this process and we're cooperating with him all along that way, even when we are in the middle of sin, forgiveness is flowing to us as long as we still recognize that sin and are thankful for the process God gives us. But, 2 Peter 3, back up, yeah. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I want you to remember that. Lose your own stability. Once saved, always saved. Says, once I come to God, there's nothing I can do to fall away. We've been fighting this for years because it gives a false confidence. But can I tell you something? We were on the other extreme You never really know. You're always precariously dangling. Even if you don't know that you've sinned, that sin jeopardizes you and compromises the entire thing. And shame on us, that's just as wrong as the other side. What's true is, you have a whole lot more stability and assurance than you think. Because God's doing it. It's not based on your performance. It's on God's ability to keep you sanctified. However, don't go all the way to the other side and say, it doesn't matter what I do and I can flirt with sin and do all this stuff and it won't hurt me. Because you can, while you are stable, that last word, your own stability, you are stable, but you can lose that stability when you start flirting with sin and its power to lure you back. I hope you have more assurance than that. So what do we need each other for then? This is the next screen. Same verse at the top. God is God in this whole process from beginning to end. You are fully sanctified. You are perfect in God's eyes even when you're flawed in your own and everybody else's. You are perfect in God's eyes. However, we still need each other. And I want you to listen to Hebrews as again, just like he wrote the first one. Look at the second verse. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Something about sin sneakily, deceitfully starts drawing you in. You don't even know it, and you justify and you rationalize it, and you think, well, God's going to take care of that. But you don't deal with it. You don't recognize it. You don't break the power of that sin over you. You don't disrupt it at all. It slowly just mesmerizes you and hypnotizes you back to your your, your old master of sin, right? 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I won't be able to explain this to you, but something about you getting ready on Sunday morning and getting in your car and driving up the hill and getting out of your car and coming into this building and seeing each other face to face, something about that breaks sin's grip on you. It keeps it from settling in. You start looking at each other and you look at each other and just by seeing you, I think you're in this fight with me and you think I'm in this fight with you and we are and we remind each other, it's hard, it's difficult, we stumble, we fall, but we're gonna be back here tonight and Wednesday night, we're gonna look at each other again and we're gonna keep sin from harboring a safe place, a stronghold in our lives to lure us back. Something about this does it. And it's not just meeting at the church building either. In a time when the church starts falling to a minority influence in the culture, like where we are going right now, and everywhere you go, the rest of the world tells you to live this way and be your own master and live by your own desires, just like the world we live in right now, the more we get together and see each other's faces and remind each other of our own faith, the more we break up sin's ability to put us in its grip again. So the other night, like I wrote in the first front, front of the bulletin this week, we're at a ball game between Brooklyn and Valley View. We're caught because we have people on both sides. So who do you root for? It's, 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 a, it's a terrible place to be in. So we just rooted for them all. Nobody knew who we were for. It was hard to tell. But it didn't matter. We were all there. So Melissa and I were sitting here. Todd came in and George came in. And pretty soon, about one-third of Valley View came in. One-third of the church came in. I thought, where are these people coming? We should just break out in a song. And there's something about that. There's something like we are in the middle of of the world's, I don't mean Brooklyn's a terrible place. I'm just saying we're in the middle of the world's arena where the world is, is doing its thing and telling us its message and preaching its truth and all that stuff. And in the middle of their own property, in the middle of the world's arena, starts coming a subculture in the corner up at the top of the bleachers. And we remind each other, it wasn't Sunday, it wasn't Wednesday, it was another day of the week completely. And what I find was, I'm, I'm sitting there going, hey, this reminds me, don't forget, that even though it's not Wednesday and Sunday, we're still a different kingdom. We're still a different ethic we're living by. And in the middle of all that, Winnie, who's there, Whitley realizes these are church people. Her eyes get huge. And she looks around and says, hey! She's loud like that, just like me. Her eyes get big and she says, hey, you go to church with me. And she's looking straight at me. I said, I sure do. She gets that finger out and she looks at Melissa and she says, you go to church with me too. And she starts looking at Jenna and she starts looking at Ella and she starts looking at all the people of church around her. Hey, you go to church with me. And it's not Sunday and it's not Wednesday. And just like that, a powerful reminder of who we really are it's not in our property. It's not on the top of the hill. It's not in our buildings. 
It's in the world's arena by seeing each other. It breaks that, y'all. It breaks that hold. I don't know how to describe it, but the Hebrew writer says, take care that every day, it's not just Sunday and Wednesday, we gotta remind each other. The, the grip that sin can have on us if we're not paying attention. That's why when someone drifts off from church, you miss two or three times. I hope, I, I hope that I register that and send you a text. I'm not getting on to you, and I'm not asking you to tell me where you are. I'm saying to you, I'm saying, do you need this for your life? I'm not trying to get on to you or reprimand you. I'm trying to say to you, you need this. And so a lot of people get mad at me, right? Well, you know, just trying to keep track. No, I'm not trying to keep track of you. Yeah, I guess I am, actually. Because you need this to break the hold of sin in your life. And if that's what the Hebrew writer says to do, that's what we need to be doing. So listen, when I'm after you like that, don't take it personal. And don't look at me and say, well, thank you very much. I'm going to say, you're welcome very much because it's for you. It's for you. One last thing in this passage about keeping us blameless. I put you under oath before the Lord. This, that's important, y'all. It's important when he says, I... I put you under oath before God, because you're not supposed to do that, right? To have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. I want you to make sure you read this. Did Paul know that what he was writing was scripture? The answer is yes. He knew this was inspiration from God. He had a commission from Jesus straight from the Lord, and he was writing them words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was instructing people who needed the encouragement, and he's written them particular things, and he said, I want when you, when you get together on Sunday, I want you to stand up and read this letter so that all the brothers and sisters can benefit from the strength and the guidance this word from God gives you. And when you get together here at Valley View, this is what we promise here. When you come together, I'm not gonna give you five tips on a healthy marriage or three things you can do control your anger, or any number of other things to improve the enhancements of your life. I promise you that what you're going to get is scripture straight from God, inspired through the Spirit to engage your spirit and strengthen your life before God, and nothing less, nothing less, as practical and relevant as we can, but that word has got to be there. That word strengthens the Holy Spirit within you and makes him bolt upright and leads you more healthily and leads you more readily and obviously in the steps he wants you to go in. There's another passage very similar to this one. We've already quoted some of it, and I'm going to read it here. This is Peter saying... The world's going to end one of these days. The Lord's going to come back, and this is what it's going to look like. And he says, therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these things, these end-of-time things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Make sure that you're blameless at his coming, which is exactly what Paul just said. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, his patience to let you work out your salvation, right? Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. I want you to read the letters. I want you to read the letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, some really challenging things that he says, which the ignorant and the unstable twist their own destruction. Many people just kind of twist scriptures around as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, when you know this, because you know people trick people with this, but you know this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Instead, 
grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the letters of Scripture. Grow in your grace and knowledge. To him be the glory both now and that day in eternity. What does God want at the end of time for you to be blameless? What does he want for every day until then for you to be blameless? So live that way, and it doesn't matter when he comes back. You're already at the finish line. You're already there. Keep the faith, the finish line, clearly in view, church. God puts a ribbon there. He paints it nice and clear. And it's to live blameless every day until he comes to claim the blameless. We cooperate with a God who says, I'm gonna, I am faithful and I will do the job. But we have to be in there to let him do the job on us. So take advantage of each other, your prayers, and your assembly encouragement. And use the word of God to get guidance because this world we're living in is a puzzle. It's got many detours and it's got many attractive uh, little paths you can take that will get you lost and distracted in things that are extraneous and can get you to where you don't even know where you're going. This is a puzzling life we live in. Keep the finish line in view. And if you do, and that's the finish line you want for your life, you will respond to him by calling Jesus Lord and being immersed in the waters of baptism. You will do that if you keep the finish line God established in view. You will come together and you will pray for each other. And when somebody struggles, they'll bring that struggle into the assembly or, or, or to, uh, to members of each other and we will help and encourage each other. That's how we're gonna stay in this so that God can continue working this out of us. And we're gonna continue reading that scripture and we're gonna have Bible classes where we gather under the sovereignty of God and his scriptures and try to submit to them as best we can to keep us on the right path and to know what turn to make and how to repent. So this morning, if you need to make a start by naming Jesus Lord, this is a perfect time. If you've done that and you've found yourself at a dead end and you have no idea what to do, you've been to the right place. We've been before Scripture this morning and we're before each other. And we stand willing and ready to help in any way we can to help you through this. Whatever is your response... Keep the finish line in view as we stand and sing to encourage you.